This is the Masters of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim. And my name's Tom. And we are doing Fred Cinnamon's High Noon, another Cinnamon film. Uh, we did the last episode we did, was it? It's not a year ago, is it? <laughs> I've, I can't, do you know what? I, time has, time has is been rendered meaningless over the past. I, I don't, I mean, we're recording on a Saturday. It could be a Tuesday, it could be a Thursday. No one really knows anymore, but I think, no. yes. It, it was a man for all seasons, was it not, with Hunter? Yeah, indeed. Um, and this film, it's um, it's quite a different setting uh, from uh, the man for all seasons. But I, I do find there are some interesting similarities between the two. Uh, we have uh, we have like a man struggling with his conscience. We have him playing in up his, against his adversaries and companions alike. There are also uh, it's an interesting use of geography, uh, how he how he plots out the geography in a, quite a similar way, and it, as an important visual tool and mapping out distances for like a dramatic effect. I find it was interesting going those two back to back. I think the thing about High Noon is repetition. Yeah, and it's I mean it's kind of like to, to sort of like just go back a little bit. I remember when I first got into Westerns, I was all about the John Fords, the Sergio Leone's, the Clint Eastwoods, the big, big, big Westerns and the, you know, the Monument Valleys and the, the mm. huge epic sets and all this type of thing. And when I got, when I, I suppose I was a lot younger, I, I was going through a list of like the Westerns that you had to see. High Noon was always at the top of those lists. And I remember buying it on VHS tape and there was this uh, VHS label in England called Cinema Club and they were like three quid or something like that. And I picked up High Noon and I was suddenly like when I watched it, I was like, well, hang on a minute. Where's my big vistas? Where's mm. my huge like shots of the countryside and the cavalry and all this type of thing? And then you just had this film in which basically essentially comes down to a man trying to help get people to help him and then going back to an office looking at the clock going out again coming back and it was quite strange because I'd never really seen anything like it and mm. then when you watch it again with kind of fresh eyes it's it stands out from anything that was going on at the time and I think to a degree, like what you're saying about a man for all seasons, you have this sort of, you have a very structured and almost like in the same way that someone like Wes Anderson has this kind of world that he makes that he seems to be completely the master of. You have it in High Noon where you have this mm -hmm. kind of, he goes from here to there to here to there and you're always very aware of the world he's created. And it feels very, I mean, it's, it's a very narrow, small world in a way. But it's also, I think, when you kind of watch it in the context of the Western and I mean, what I was raised on as being Westerns and you see this, it's actually quite exhilarating to see it used in that way, I think. Mm -hmm. it, it has such, um, such a distinct feel to it, I feel like it is not necessarily the sets the sets feel like it's it's every town usa it's it's small town um it could happen anywhere but there's a distinct atmosphere to it and there is um 
There is a way he sets up the film that aligns us with the Marshall Kane immediately, which he paints this picture of a man who's who's going to be struggling with his duties and protecting the town and facing gang killers alone. I mean, he sets all of this up quite, even in the first song that we hear, which goes on throughout the entire film, but everything is delivered so economically and it's then repeated in different nuances throughout the film, but that atmosphere that he sets is so, it's so riveting and really grabs you in immediately, I think. I think that comes down to the fact that we know we're walking to a time limit mm-hmm. and you have this it's it's very it's very clearly made up from the start that the bad guys are coming in x amount of time mm. and although it follows the it, it's unfolding apparently in real time i think yeah, you could you could probably be sort of yeah it, yeah it, it sort of has that real time effect to it and it instantly, time is something which, when it's done so immediately, it does become a lot more pressing and it becomes a lot more dramatically intense. So if you think about the TV series 24 for something, which I've actually been watching mm-hmm. the second series of again like that, you're always aware mm-hmm. of time. You, you, there's this constant. And when you watch a film that unfolds in its own time, they'll say something like, well, you know, in two hours or something like that. And you don't think about it because it, it's not happening in in a real time but with this it is so you know that these guys are coming and you get these constant shots of the train tracks and he uses this shot of the train tracks but there's nothing happening (laughs) he must go back to it four or four four or five times i'm going to talk about repetition you have this shot of the train tracks going off into the distance and there's nothing happening and then you (laughs) go back and he looks at the clock and i know one thing that um zinnemann did was that and I really love this as well, which he made the clocks bigger in the, in the shot. So as the film goes mm. on, the actual clocks you're seeing are actually physically bigger to remind mm. you of the fact that there is this time constraint going on. And what I love about it and and what, watching it again over the past couple of days is, I, I, and I've, I've, I've seen this in two films i've watched recently um both steven spielberg films et and poltergeist and i know poltergeist is technically a toby hopper film but that's that, that's another story for the day but one thing he, he spielberg does in et is he gives and, and poltergeist he gives you two fake endings so et dies and then poltergeist they get the girl back and there's still like 20 minutes to go and it's this narrative device that you think, oh, well, yeah, we've kind of, it's like a false ending, as it were, because there's another prologue to come. And what Zinnemann does in this, and he does it brilliantly, it's another form of repetition we're talking about, is that he does several scenes where you think that the conclusion of the conversation that's happening is going to result in either the townspeople or an individual coming over to his side. Mm-hmm. And you get these big build-ups, and then it's like, no, but you're still on your own. Mm. And that, as well, with this kind of constant going back to the clock, you you begin to wonder, like, this guy's world just gets more narrower and narrower. And you're thinking, who is going to help him? And the slow realisation, I think, what makes High Noon so good is that you realise as the film goes on, it's only him that's going to be able to get himself out of this mess. And that's why I think it builds to such an exciting conclusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is this, your alliances are completely with Marshall Kane immediately, but you feel like you really want him to, you want him to have support. You want him to, you feel like you need support in order for him to live. And you also know that you are building allegiance with those town people because you want them as well to you want them to come out on the other side alive but every time he tries to make an alliance with the townspeople or with the deputy marshals or tries to recruit assistance and then it fails you 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 get that sort of dreading feeling oh how is this going to go how how will he make it how how will he make it against this 
big bad opposition that is being portrayed as sort of the boogeyman of sorts where it feels like there is a north south thing going on here as well that is interesting but feels like this man should never be let out alive out of prison and something by a mistake or by a poor judgment he's let out again and i, I think it's corruption you, that's let him out because i mean it's mm-hmm. the, they say don't they it's the north like he was let out in the north and it's it's you're never quite sure where at what time in history this is taking place but i think you can just safely assume it's after the civil war because mm. obviously they say the north but you never quite you don't quite know the reason why he's been um what's the guy's name the frank miller yeah frank well, why, why miller's been left but you say that it happened in the north so I, I mean i've always assumed it's some kind of corruption that's allowed that to happen i sort of maybe thought it was like the north are more lenient towards offenders or like here in the south we are perhaps a bit more hard judgment in, in some sort uh, like the north are perhaps a bit softer on crime uh, i was perhaps pulling it that way but corruption as well i mean that was something that uh, i know the there was a, a in the talk of the north from the south there is a feeling that the the businessmen are ruling and money rules basically whereas in the south the standards and the morals are what rules well again i mean i'm not i'm, I'm not i'm i'm not entirely sure do you know what i mean i mm. I, I just mm-hmm. thought when they said like when there's that passing reference to the north i thought it's in there as a kind of mm. it, it's, it's in there very deliberately for sure mm. you know what i mean i'm not <clears> sure of the context of what of, of what they've said about it marshall telegram for you it's terrible. It's shocking. They pardon Frank Miller. What is it? I don't believe it. A week ago, too. Nice of them to let you know. And that ain't all. Ben Miller is down for depot now with Jim Pierce and Jack Colby. They asked about the noon train. The noon train? Well, you get out of this town. Get out of this town this very minute. Come on, what let's get him going. Oh, never mind that now. Let's get going just and don't like stop till you get the clocks burning. But what is it, Mr. Howard? Don't you worry, man. We'll be out of town in a minute and everything will be all on. Well, we'll take care of everything. I think I ought to stay. Are you crazy? Think of Amy. Goodbye. Amy. Goodbye, Amy. Don't worry. When I was going into the film, there is a real political edge to this film because obviously it's right at Carl Foreman. Um, the original incarnation of High Noon was never supposed to be the way it is. It's very much a product of, of its time because Carl Foreman originally wanted this to be a parable about um, the virtues of like the collective spirit basically he wanted it to be mm. about the formation of the united nations he, you know, it was it was all about that and obviously what happened was the cold war happened and then he was indicted under the house of un-american activities mm. and high noon changed dramatically as a as a a writing project because he wanted it to be about his experience like he is in effect the will kane character because mm. he had allegiances and a history with the American Communist Party and had to basically go in front of the house on, of American activities. And this was about his, how he felt about what was happening to him because suddenly his friend, one kind of fell by the wayside. And it's, there's a real i mean this is the one thing going back to it i think it's a really kind of like it's quite a nihilistic film in mm. a way it's unlike any western <clears throat> well, not to say unlike any western but it's unlike a lot of westerns that you will see at the time because my when you look at the the people in the town i can't personally really find myself to condemn them that much mm-hmm. and i think i i find it almost understandable how they behave which i think there's a pathos i think to the fact that 
you know, would you really want to get yourself shot for this guy? Mm. Is it really worth it? And I think that's one of the kind of the moral conundrums that High Noon throws out there. Mm. I um, mean, when you watch it, I mean, do you like, do you personally, do you, do you judge them that harshly? Do you think? No, not at all. Because as you're saying, there is, there is that feeling of strength in numbers, but no one is willing to take that risk and stand out, really. And when no one stands out, then everyone stands alone. And I feel like it is understandable because there is also the feeling that he he's making the mistake of going to one, one man at a time instead of trying to gather them, uh, which he does in church. But uh, in the other settings, he really seeks out one person and one person alone which makes it more vulnerable and it makes it more, it's more difficult to say that you and I, we're going to stand together and we, let's just hope other people are coming as well. And I can really, I can really understand the decision to, well, it's not me they're after, it's you they're after. And mm -hmm. if we don't really bother them and if you just leave, <laughs> everything is going to be all right for us at least. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's constantly as well. They're told, they? just just go. That's the thing they keep yeah. saying. And you have and he's like, nearly around the town, so yeah, it's like just go, you know, just just leave and all that kind of thing. But <clears> think <throat> about the Westerners. There's always this kind of like unwritten code by which the protagonists live by this mm. sort of like like kind of like morals and honor and all that kind of thing, which he is mm. obviously very ground to. And he can't just go. And there's, there's lip service paid to the fact that yeah, they, w they will never be able to get out in time and all that kind of thing. But, mm. you know, there's the judge, isn't there, who like just packs his bag. He's like, I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> this, this, there's another town I can go to. You know, this is just, you know, one of those things and blah, blah, blah. But what I yeah, what I love about it as well is they, they always talk about the difference that he's made to their lives. You know, you yeah. couldn't walk down the streets. There's crime <clears throat> and all this type of thing. And what what's interesting, I, I think that's really interesting because it, it also it gives you two sides of the argument of the town, which is on the one hand you're like you should be grateful for what this guy's done for you, you know he mm -hmm. really has sort of like made it a better place. But on the other hand, I totally get the reason why they're not gonna and the, yeah the baddie is is so he, he sounds so terrible. Like Frank sounds so awful, you know he's like a borderline psychopathic drunk and who's gonna you know go on the rampage. And I get it, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about High Noon, is it, it it throws out that moral quandary, where I think if you were to, if if someone said to me, no, I'll definitely stay and be with him, I wouldn't believe a word of they were saying, and it it, it goes back to kind of like Carl Forman's experience with the House of Unmarried and activities, which was, I was listening to a podcast once, and I I, I won't say who it was, but the, the the hosts were like, well, if they were in the same situation, there's no way they would ever have sold out anyone. And it's like, really? Do, 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 can you say that for certain? You know, it's very mm. easy to say something that happened like six odd years ago. I'm, I'm sure it's it's very easy to say, oh, you know, I, I would never have dobbed anyone in. You don't know. You know, don't mm. don't even try and pretend. And that's that's one of these the, the things I love about High Noon is it really does make you think about big subjects in in a, in a really kind of honest way. Please, Will. If you just tell me what this is all about. I sent a man up five years ago for murder. He was supposed to hang. But up north, they commuted it to life. Now he's free. I don't know how. Anyway, it looks like he's coming back. I still don't understand. He's a... Well, he was always wild, kind of crazy. He'll, he'll probably make trouble. But that's no concern of yours, not anymore. I'm the one who sent him up. Well, that was part of your job. That's finished now. They've got a new marshal. Won't be here till tomorrow. Seems to me I've got to stay. Anyway, I'm the same man with or without this. Well, that isn't so. I expect he'll come looking for me. Three of his old bunch are waiting at the depot. That's exactly why we ought to go. He'll just come after us. Four of them. We'd be all alone on the prairie. We've got an hour. What's an hour? Oh, we could What's reach... What's a hundred miles? We'd never be able to keep that store, Amy. They'd come after us and we'd have to run again as long as we live. No, we wouldn't. Not if they didn't know where to find us. Oh, Will. Well, I'm begging you, please, let's go. I can't. 
don't try to be a hero. You don't have to be a hero, not for me. I'm not trying to be a hero. If you think I like this, you're crazy. Look, Amy, this is my town. I've got friends here. I'll swear in a bunch of special deputies, and with a posse behind me, maybe there won't even be any trouble. You know there'll be trouble. Then it's better to have it here. And it's it's such a it's such a universal conflict. I mean, it's dealing with dangerous bullies and how you how do you cope with terror and its effects on the community and in its own time it could be read as a statement about mccarthyism and the need for courage there's also words to be had that it could be read for it could be read the other way in that it could be read as um, the red fear of, of sorts and a decade ago it could be read as a like a fear of terrorists so there's a there's an outer danger there which the form may change over time but the the inner life and their reverberations there they are quite like constant and universal and i think that's the real strength of this film that we can we can easily identify with the fear that the townspeople feel and that also kane feels and there, there's an in, inducing fear when we return to that train station again and again there the fear heightens and you know very few of us are tempted just to avoid the situation altogether I, I think at some level we all know that there is a fear here genre films are often vehicles to smuggle in sorry smuggle in like bigger and more interesting ideas you know something like science mm-hmm. fiction does it does it? i mean i've you know, been recently going back to gattaca again and it's a it i suppose on paper it's a it's a whodunit but there's a lot more going on than just that yeah. and, uh, it, you know it does ask some pretty fundamentally big questions that you possibly don't even realize you're thinking about whilst you're watching it but it's only afterwards that you really kind of like go into it and mm-hmm. High Noon is one of those films. I remember being in a situation where at work, this was this was absolutely years ago, where someone who was absolutely brilliant at their job and who did amazing things for people was quite clearly had some very despicable views and it was one of those kind of quandaries where you're like that could cause them to 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 be in quite a, quite a lot of trouble and they hadn't actually done anything but they'd, they'd said a few very disturbing things and the decision was taken out of my hands because someone else actually did raise these issues but i remember sort of thinking like well on the one hand they're doing good but on the other hand i know for a fact that they're quite quite a bad person and it was a horrible situation to be on because i don't know i'd I'd like to say now that i would have gone that i was waiting to kind of raise these issues but i didn't but someone else Mm -hmm. did Mm. and it's a tough one and high noon is i think a distillation of that type of of, of that type of moral quandary where and mm. again we go back to it it's such a dis, if you, you know, it's so dis, it's so simple the outlaws are coming to kill the sheriff but it's not that at all mm. and it's it, 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 it's one of those where like I think every time you go back to it and one of the things I find about every time I go back to it I always think slightly differently of it in a certain scenario hmm. there's there is this fascinating it's, it's such a simple setup, as you say, in dealing with that fear of confrontation, the, the conflicting urges to, to flee and, or to stay, and all the different arguments that weigh in uh, for and opposed, which will, they will never quite settle, which means that I always feel it's rewarding to watch this film again and again because you're always left with different thoughts or it really depends on who you are as a person at that point in time and what you bring into it is what you are sort of getting out of it as well and if you are if you are brave enough to really ask yourself these questions and to really look at yourself i think it's such a rewarding experience and such an interesting journey to go on well, I mean, the other thing I find about it as well is that, and I, I don't think about this the second time I watched, that, when I watched it again for this, 
is mm. that I, I feel that this film is an endorsement of violence. And that's quite mm-hmm. an, that's quite a a thing to say. I'm not a pacifist. I never have been. I I, I don't. I, I I do believe that, for example, if you want to stop genocide, you have to start dropping bombs. It's as simple as that. And I know it it it, it it's it's one of those sort of things when you talk about it now. It's like people sort of say, well, you know, like the Rwandan genocide. What would I, I, what would have stopped the Rwandan genocide? For example, would have been to invade Rwanda and stop the genocide, you know, to literally bomb the people doing the genocide, would have stopped the genocide. And when I watch High Noon, it does show, I think, there is the violence is not treated as something which is flippant. Like in a lot of Westerns, you know, you're supposed to kind of, there's a fetishization of violence mm. in a lot of Westerns. You're supposed to be impressed by how quickly they can draw the gun and just shoot everyone. It, mm. it, it, it's a thing of real, you, you, that's one of the, you, 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 like in the, the only films, it's, there's, there's almost a humour to the violence because there's always be some like witty aside, you know, where he'll walk past the coffin maker and say, oh, you, know, you better yeah, make yeah. it three now or something like that. And in High Noon, there's a real weight to the violence, I think. Mm. But th- people don't want to be killed in this film. No one wants to do any killing, but you have to. He cannot just sort of wait on the street for, the, for, for Miller to turn up and be like, look, you know, can we just talk about this? Because mm. it's not going to happen. They're going to kill him. That, that is the, the simple fact he's going to be killed. There is nothing mm. he can do. And it's really interesting what happens with the Grace Kelly character, who's a Quaker. And she herself is like, you know, my, my brother and my dad, I think it's a brother and a dad or something, isn't it? She said, we're both killed or something like that. And she has turned to Quakerism as a way of this kind of like passive, doesn't want any kind of violence. And it's really interesting. It's a- it's like so, a fantasy she she goes into yeah seeking a world without violence yeah, even and, though and, and, it is not the world she lives in and there's a, it's it's not pleasant i don't think to admit mm. to yourself that violence sometimes and when i talk about violence i'm not talking about just you know someone just randomly punching someone but occasionally there is a very real justification for the use of war and mm. firing weapon, you know, just doing what has to be done. And, I, and like, like I've always, like, you no, know, making my point earlier about genocide. You, you, genocides aren't stopped by sanctions and nice language. It's just a, it, it's a fact. You know, the World War Two wasn't won by saying to Hitler, "Look, mate, what you're doing is really bad." It was won by killing. And mm. I think High Noon really pushes you into that uh, that area where you have to kind of admit that in this case violence is justified it's a really interesting concept because someone's once said to me that pacifism is effectively one of the most morally abject positions you can take and give me a moral justification for high noon for him not killing the people that are coming to get it and what what i love about it it doesn't glorify what he's done and it, it certainly doesn't sanctify him in any way it just very matter-of-factly says this is what has to happen in order for this guy to survive mm. and again when we you know we talk about the morality of the film and what it makes you think and when it comes back to would you side with him it's very easy to go yeah i'd, I'd, I'd go in there and you know, put my gun on the table and slap a deputy's badge and, you know, start fighting. You tell me that when you've got three kids. Mm-hmm. It doesn't become that easy, does it? Or just the fact that, mm. you know, well, you know, this guy was the marshal, he was doing his job and whatever's happened up north with the law has meant that these guys... It suddenly becomes... It's not quite as simple as people think. Our text today is from Malachi, chapter 4. For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be as Yes, 
I'm sorry, Parson. I don't want to disturb the services. You already have. You don't come to this church very often, Marshal. And when you got married today, you didn't see fit to be married here. What could be so important to bring you here now? I need help. It's true I haven't been a church-going man, and maybe that's a bad thing. And I didn't get married here today because, because my wife's a Quaker. But I came here for help because, because there are people here. I'm sorry, Marshal. Say what you have to say. Maybe some of you already know it, but if you don't, it looks like Frank Miller's coming back on the noon train. And I need all the special deputies I can get. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Hold it a minute. Hold it. Before we go rushing out into something that ain't going to be so pleasant, let's be sure we know what this is all about. What I want to know is this. Ain't it true that Cain ain't no longer Marshal? And ain't it true there's personal trouble between him and Miller? Why shouldn't he? All right. Quiet, everybody. If there's a difference of opinion, let everybody have a say. But let's do it like grown-up people. And let's get all the kids out of the building. Like, if you think about something like you know, a John Wayne film, like Stagecoach, something like... I'd love to know the body count of those types of films, where this one, you <laughs> feel the sense that there's a weight behind what's going on and the actions that someone needs to take in, in terms of self-preservation. Uh, mm. mm. There is also... I think a point to be made about it's about more than more than the violence it's about the the union that he he really needs and it's about amy sort of overcoming her pacifism in a way it's more than just a wish for peace and love it's about being innocent and a virgin and fearing sort of the aggressive nature of man living in that fantasy world and not dealing with the realities of the world she's in. And I mean, Kane really, he says it that he needs her not only for support, but to, he needs her to overcome her own fears. He's sort of bringing her into the, the adult life, sort of deflowering her in a way. And the support of the townspeople, that would be helpful. But he, I feel like he ultimately needs Amy to be by his side as they confront the problems together. And he needs her acceptance and his her support and the collusion really with his violence that they can stand in union and defend themselves really. So in that way, it, it's, it's more about the unification of those two than the violence of a single man in a way if you if you catch my drift no yeah i understand it i i i think if you look if you watch the wedding at the start mm. he doesn't look thrilled <laughs> no I, I, he, he does look a bit sort of like uh, uh, which yeah. is in, insane considering his grace kelly it's just yeah. grace kelly yeah i mean like, yeah. i mean yeah you're like mate seriously you've outperformed yourself <laughs> here pal you know i mean like this is yeah. as well this is like gary cooper on his way down in terms of his career and you've yeah, you've just you, you've just managed to you know bag grace kelly but i know I, I i think you're right i think there's a kind of like quakerism to me has it's a religion that has a kind of a fadness to it. It's like mm. it, it, it's 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 religion that fulfills a need, and in this one, she you know she she's, she wants to be a pacifist. And I think I, I think you're entirely right. This this film is. I actually feel hopeful for their marriage as they ride off because I think she's mm. seen the reality of life a little bit more. Mm. through this experience it's a coming of age tale i suppose in a very short space of time because there's a yeah. bit isn't it where he's like you know she's like oh you know he can he can open a shop <laughs> and it's like oh yeah yeah you know and you can tell he's like it's great you know, yeah yeah great yeah, oh, yeah, yeah a shop brilliant you know i can yeah you know, i can sell beans but it's like you know like life's not like life isn't like that uh. and it's it's i mean i i guess it's kind of 
because the other thing is you have like his um helen ramirez his ex-lover and she's got this kind of and i don't want to be crude you know who's going to be better in bed and it's not going to be Amy, is it? Let's be brutally honest with you. But, you know, he's had this sort of past where he's kind of, you know, gone with this this Helen. And then there's those brilliant scenes where, you know, she's going up to the hotel. And she sort of realises that her man isn't the innocent, I guess, noble guy that she might have thought he is. But by the mm. end of the film, I think she comes to realise who he is and why he has to be like that, and life's just fine. I don't know if she's going to give up Quakerism, but I can't really imagine it's going to go much further. Mm. I mean, Helen Ramirez, for me, she is perhaps the most interesting character in the film in that she sort of represents the voice of ethics and morals along with Kane, but she is the... I feel like she is the voice of, of the people... Or she's the voice of the moral that we want the people to take. Really, she she has such power in her presence, and there's there are so many layers in the scenes that she is involved with. Uh, even even that it plants this seed of an idea that that rivalry between Kane and Frank Miller, where she is sort of that scorned woman who who left Miller for Kane, or there is something there which which is uh, like, lays there sort of as an unspoken thing, really. Well, the other thing she's doing as well is she's constantly saying to Amy, you know, be you know, be with your man. Mm-hmm. You know, get out there, you know, like, don't leave him alone. Like, um, yeah, I, I think she's like the cheerleader of the film, really. Mm. She's saying what we, you know, a lot of us are saying and a lot of us are thinking. Sorry. Yeah. And it, 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 it yeah, it, it, it's interesting because it's that She's a link to his past that's way gone and she knows it and she's quite made peace with the fact that they've both moved on and all that type of thing. Hmm. But she's like what you want to be by his side. Hmm. Because High Noon's a different film if him and Helen are still together. Because she would be up there like, laying traps with shotguns and getting explosive <laughs> ready i would not fuck with that woman at all you know what i mean but yeah. the, the fact of the matter is in this context it's like and, and the other thing is like i suppose the whole kind of like mexican thing that they've gone for this kind of like overtly exotic type figure haven't they yeah. and you, you, she's this she's a female character who and i don't like like can be generalization who's behaving more like you would expect a man to behave like mm. she's got more balls than most of the people in that town come in yes mrs ramirez i'm mrs kane i know may i come in if you like sit down mrs kane no, thank you. What do you want? Oh, please, it's just that I'm afraid if I sat down, I wouldn't be able to get up again. Why? It wasn't easy for me to come here. Why? Look, Mrs. Ramirez, Will and I were married an hour ago. We were all packed and ready to leave, and then this thing happened and he wouldn't go. I, I did everything. I, I pleaded, I threatened. I just couldn't reach him. And now? Well, that man downstairs, the clerk, he said things about you and Will. I've been trying to understand why he wouldn't go with me, and now all I can think of is that it's got to be because of you. What do you want from me? Let him go. He still has a chance. Let him go. I cannot help you. Please. He isn't staying for me. I have spoken to him for a year until today. I am leaving on the same train you are. Then what is it? Why is he staying? If you don't know, I cannot explain it to you. Well, thank you anyway. You've been very kind. What kind of woman are you? How can you leave him like this? Does the son of guns frighten you that much? 
No, Mrs. Ramirez. I've heard guns. My father and my brother were killed by guns. They were on the right side, but that didn't help them any when the shooting started. My brother was 19. I watched him die. That's when I became a Quaker. I don't care who's right or who's wrong. There's got to be some better way for people to live. Will knows how I feel about it. Just a minute. Are you going to wait for the train downstairs? Yes. Why don't you wait here? I mean, there's a there's a real link to real world issues and real and the reality, and she feels like grounded. Then the age thing, I think that plays in as well. I mean, Grace Kelly, I think she was 21 when she started this. Yeah. yeah. And there is a difference in age, which sort of serves as a defense for her sort of actions here and she comes across as this innocent creature um but but there is there is something about helen ramirez that you you know that this is a character who's seen the world she know she knows what it is she knows what can happen and she stands up for herself as well which is um i mean it's a it's a fascinating female character for a western even so yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's a really there's a there's a scene that doesn't even need to be in the film where she sells the shop to the guy. Yeah, and it's completely. And I said it stuck with me again watching it. I was like, what does this scene? What is the point in this scene? But and he's like, you know what? I, I thought this about you, and now I think this about you. And she says mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, send me half the money now. Give me half the money now, and send me half the money. And you know he's going to do it because mm-hmm. he respects her so much. Mm-hmm. And he has such a feeling for her, you know, like not, it's just like a total respect. And it's, it's a really, it's a really bizarre film. And it, it, good Westerns, I think, have those types. And I was watching Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid the other day. And there's a bit where mm. like, um, uh, Pat Garrett's just like sitting by a tree and this like boat goes past and they shoot guns at each other. Completely pointless. <laughs> there's no, there's no need for it to be in the film to it. It says absolutely, it does nothing for the narrative. But in a way, it kind of says so much about that world, mm. and this is and, and it, it says a lot of backstory as well because like you sort of think, well, in the times of past, they might have really try to kill each other, whereas this time they're probably trying to miss, and it, it says something about the changing of the times, mm. and in this, it's like you, you get so much of a backstory. You can imagine when he's saying like, you know. I'm going to sort you out with the money and all that type of thing. You get so much of a backstory because she probably did t- tip up and she was like the foreigner. And you know a little bit about this town that it wasn't safe to walk down it for women and all that type of thing. And she's obviously become part of the community and she's won over their respect. And she doesn't just feel like some bit on the side that he has. She feels like someone he probably did have very strong feelings for. And it, it's... Yeah, like I said, it's one of those kind of things. It's it's one of those characters where she just stands out so much. Hmm. And there's there are plenty of things that are sort of twins of each other or mirror reflections. In that Helen sort of is the the opposite of of um, the Grace Kelly character, and also the uh, Frank Miller. He's, he sort of becomes the, the like evil twin of Will Kane in that. One one represents that sort of evil and the death, and the other represents life and the goodness. And there are many. I feel like there are many relationships throughout the film, which represents sort of two sides of the coin, where there is inexperience or inex, uh, experience or inexperience with the the deputy and Kane, or there is. Grace Kelly character or Helen Ramirez or there is Will Kane and Frank Miller there is always someone to play against. I feel like he um, Zinnemann really plays with those characters and the setting really that way. Well the thing about the western as well is I think like the, the difference between the outlaw and the good guy is so interchangeable sometimes. Yeah. It, 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 it seems to me more like you know you can literally tip up in, into a, a western town and be the outlaw or the, the the sheriff. I don't know what I, I've always wondered in westerns like what the criteria is for being a sheriff. You don't, <laughs> seem, you don't seem to need any like like law degree, do you? Or kind of like it just seems to be like if you're a good type and all that type of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's yeah, it, it's it's an interesting film. It, it, 
like we said before, it, it's so deceptively simple. But as soon as you mm. start to kind of chip away at the surface, I think there is something that's really, yeah, like I said, like fun, but like yin and yangs to characters. Mm. And, you know, it, it's, I would much rather be with the Helen character than mm. Grace Kelly, you know, but like what, how, how's their, how's their marriage come about? And, Mm. you know like what's the, the what's the kind of the, the the backstory there and you can imagine that you in in times today you could do it easily do a prequel to high noon where he tips up on that town on, on hadleyville and gets it to where it is and it, it's it, it's yeah there's so much like you feel like i, I always feel like when i watch it that there's a world there mm there's something, you know, there's more to it than, than you know, there are all these backstories that are so brilliantly dealt with. And again, it comes mm. down to that economic filmmaking. It's just words that are building something in your head without mm. actually having to kind of explicitly show it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the dialogue, I feel it's, it's so sharp and succinct and it leaves so much room for interpretation as well. And the cinematography as well is sort of, underlines and elevates that dramatic tension at times with such there is the use of powerful and lasting close-ups the use of repetition um, the use of the the empty scenery at times um, i feel the the way that it sort of uses its um, how do you call it the way the way that it tells the story is all to make it as simple and yet as effective as possible and there's also that i was gonna were you gonna uh, repeat to that or don't say yeah uh, now i was gonna say that um the the dealing with the yin and yang especially between the the, the deputy uh sheriff uh, that, yes. that young character and uh will kane there's a there is a, a discussion being made about what it, what does it entail or what is required to be a marshal. And it sort of deals with that male identity and what it means to be a man. It's, it's more than just killing. It's having a certain set of ideals and morals. Even when you're left standing alone, it's, it's more than just the glory. It's about that. It's, it's something deeper than that, which I feel is, it is, attempting to say something uh, about that male identity and uh, what sort of man do we need in this society yeah i mean masculinity is it, it's in the modern context masculinity is something which is really it's becomes almost i mean there's the, the term toxic masculinity that you have yeah. to deal with now and this idea that you know we shouldn't really you know, even the like, talking about masculinity is a bad thing but mm. in the western that they, they are westerns are masculine films mm -hmm. they, they're about men they invariably are about men and how to behave and one of the reasons why i mean high noon was hated in certain circles not not, not least by john wayne who he made mm -hmm. rio bravo as a as a kind of a rebuke to the masculinity of this film because he he hated the idea and a lot of people did when they were talking about this film that this village would that these people would turn on the sheriff hmm. they, they felt it's profoundly anti-masculine and anti-american and all this type of stuff and high noon and this is where we're going it, it that, that, that's why I think it kind of like that's one of the reasons why I, I'm so interested in it because mm. it does go there it, it goes to the point where it says like how should we behave you know like mm. is there is there a, a way a man should behave in a given situation uh, and one of the uncomfortable things I think there probably is codes of masculine behavior that I think are, are good and positive and mm. are necessary in in a way and I think people like John Wayne are missing the sophistication of the film by challenging that because the 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 fact that he is not going to walk away from the town 
Mm. And he's not and he's not going to kind of just give up and just kind of, you know, run away from his responsibility because every every you know, the, the screenplay goes to so much trouble to show you how many times he's got the option to walk away from the situation <laughs> and he doesn't and I, the critique comes from how the other people behave but i think it is a and it, i mean like, the, the vagaries and the, you can't define masculinity i think in a in a, in a cohesive way without kind of <laughs> really going into the stereotypes and this type of thing but there is an, an, an it goes back to the western the idea of the western male is that there's a very kind of like unspecified code that they live by and he he's living by that code he can't just walk away and it's I, I wonder is is it because of his affiliation to the town he knows what he's done for it and he's just not going to kind of dump on it like and and, and go and it's it, it's interesting because i think like now i think the contemporary reviews of the well the contemporary kind of the anti kind of reaction to it i wonder how people if this film was made now how people would react to it mm. like what what would they say about it you know what would they say what's this saying about masculinity i think it would i think it'd be a very interesting conversation to have i mean joker is a film that is trying to deal with some of this uh, mm. I feel like, but is it is being? I feel like Joker was highly misunderstood in that depicting a certain view of masculinity is the same as endorsing it. But it is attempting to deal with that toxicity in a way, uh, and trying to um, trying to portray it in an understandable or at least trying to make you. Um, understand and maybe even sympathize which mm. i feel some people take as an affront that oh am i supposed to sympathize with this character but um i feel like that is some of the themes that is maybe uh, sort of linked between those two yeah i mean i think everyone likes as well again i think the reason why people like, like john wayne hated it mm. and there was a kind of like you know a, a real backlash against it is i think people don't like to see, and it comes down to masculinity men don't like to see frailty mm -hmm. frailty is a very con a very complex thing like if you see like you know someone crying a, a man crying or all that kind of thing a lot of people kind of go oh well you know it's you know that that that's there's, there's various camps will, will, will have very different opinions on it and when you see a man like broken like this, who, who, who's clearly, you know, asking for help and asking for, you know, for people to back him up. In, I suppose in the John Wayne world, you just stroll out there and shoot the fuckers and then go on with your day. And, and, yeah. and I think that the vulnerability is almost in of itself something which people, Again, I'm not trying, trying, trying hard, to, hard to articulate, but it, it's that is seen as a weakness. Is it, you know, but mm. in a way, is it a strength? You know, is it is is mm. is it going through the film? He's realised he's have to be completely self reliant, and then mm. with the help of his wife, getting getting rid of these guys. You know, but mm. it, it's it, it's an int it's, it's interesting. I I think like again it's like i would like if this film was made now i would like i think the reaction to it i think would be very i, I think certain quarters would say it's an endorsement of masculinity and male <laughs> violence and i think a lot of other people would probably say well no it's not i think it's more you know it does display the kind of the, the vulnerability that perhaps we don't like to admit actually exists i don't have any problem admitting <laughs> to myself that it can be uh, you know quite <laughs> like whatever a man is i mean my, my girlfriend once said to me strap i need to strap some balls on in, in a given situation <laughs> you know what i mean but it's like i, I have no I, I i'm not i'm not afraid to admit that that was a conversation that i had with her but it's it's again I, I, it's the simplicity and the genius of the screenplay hmm. i mean if i mean john wayne was originally offered the role but he turned it yes. down because of the the allegory against blacklisting and whatever but i feel like if john wayne had been the main part here it wouldn't have ended in such a somber tone with him going off into the 
shifts or going off with his wife in without the cheers and without like the huzzas and that feeling of mm, there would have been more outrage against the people who didn't stand with him he wouldn't have been as understanding as I feel like Gary Cooper is when when that uh, I can't remember the real character's name but the one who swears his allegiance and then sort of backs away when he realizes oh I'm the only one um yeah but he he wouldn't have shown that understanding towards him he would have kind of lambasted him and kind of chased him out of there and I'm going to do it on my own basically yeah and this, this I think this is I think there is a, a slight case of art echoing life because Gary Cooper's career at this point was way 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 on the down i mean mm-hmm. he, he he had been at the top and i think this kind of the the, the film sort of somber tone when he i mean if you think about it as well that scene where he chucks the badge on the floor is such a rejection of what a lot of people really hold dear i mean it's like trampling on a flag or something it's a mm-hmm. real it's a real moment and i I, I, I think if John Wayne had been in that character, in that thing, he would have kept that badge. I mean, there's no way John Wayne, the person, would have allowed a character he's playing to chuck a badge on the floor. Absolutely no way at all. Mm. He would have, he would have like gone out. He would have got on that thing and stuck it to his chest and said, you know, I'll always be the mayor of the uh, the, the sheriff of this town or something, and, mm. and, and rode off. And I, 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 I think there's an there's an example. Again, you can come back to the. The, um, the idea that this is like a film made certainly made of a time with its actor so I think Gary Cooper I think was probably at a point in his career where he's probably been there done that and there's a kind mm. of pathos I think with the character you can understand where he's coming from from a personal point of view and the person mm. of the of the character and it's mm. not a triumphant film I knew. Mm. I've always, I've, I, I really got this out of the, again, this is not a celebratory film. It's not a, it's, it's a film in which like the characters as well, like if you take your, um, you know, come the end, you have the Grace Kelly character, who's this lifelong passive, who's just now realised that she has to kill people, you know, and, and, and the marshals realise that the whole town really, has never really been there even if you know words don't mean much in high noon Hmm. it's all talk you know all this kind of bravado all this you know yeah we'll we'll stand with you when you leave because that's the best thing that's going to happen you know it words mean nothing honor means nothing and Hmm. it's again i think it probably goes back to carl foreman's life where he was having to like you know, testify in front of your friends. No, well, you're a communist, then. You know, and you he, 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 he probably wanted people to say that. You know, come to his defence, and they didn't. And there is a, there's an honesty to it. I think there's a rawness to High Noon, and it takes you to a very uncomfortable place. Hmm. Absolutely, it's such a, despite like what, really, it's downplaying the spectacle. It's focusing in on the, the human drama, the morality, the emotions. Um, I feel like the heroine at one point, she's the one who rescues the hero. Like this is an unorthodox Western and it's, it's such a, you owe yourself to watch this if you haven't really. And the, it's such a a good point you made about that. And I've just thought about it until you said it is like, he needs someone else to help him. A woman. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Without, without her, he's a dead man. And And the man needs a woman. There is something about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you just you just made me yeah, you really made me yeah. yeah, you've made really me think about that because it's like, mm. yeah, like we're sort of saying in those kind of like comedy, you know, ridiculous westerns, and I'm not, that's not to say they're, they're they're bad, but you know, you can kill ten guys with one bullet in two seconds, you know, it's just nonsense. And in this, it's like no, no, you know, when she finally faces up to the fact that she has to go and help her husband, yeah, she's the reason why he's not dead, and that's mm. a very unmasculine thing to admit, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. Um, just a couple of words on the Master Cinema release, which is, uh, or it was quite something, and there was a limited edition. I think it's, um, I think it's out of stock now or uh, been discontinued. But there was um, like a limited edition release here with, with the book, with the short story, with many writings and uh, archival articles and materials 
uh, for the film. Um, but aside from that, if you just get the regular edition, there is still, I think, two audio commentaries. There are video interviews. There's a making of this and uh, behind the scenes. I mean, this is a packed release and a really great uh, digital restoration as well, I think. The, the transfer is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. For this, I mean, and and and, and again, it's 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 a, it's a film of sparsity. Um, this isn't your monument valleys. This isn't your epic. It, it's not a huge film, and it was it was it was made. I mean, that you know, High Noon was made when films were starting to get bigger and bigger, and this one doesn't. It, it resists that urge, and it goes mm. for um, not well. There is a smallness of scale to it, but it's. Un, I mean, can I go back to that comment I made at the start of? what we're talking about i was raised before i went into this on the big big westerns and then you watch this there's no clouds in the sky it's completely mm. washed out that it's 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 so it seems so compact and i think what the blu-ray does is it re every scene films like a photograph to me there's a real I don't know, it's so, so cliche but there's a real filmic view to there's a real filmic feel to the blu-ray that when you're watching it, it it's it's just a reminder. I think it was like a, 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 a reminder to me just how good, you know, the Academy ratio could look. Mm. And, and the sound's great. And you've got that brilliant soundtrack by Dimitri Tolkien with the oh, reoccurrence of the theme. And I mean, and, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an audio visual delight. It's one of, the, it's one of my favourite Blu-rays, actually. Mm. And it, I think which is, you know, if you would give me like my top 10 Blu-rays, this would be up there. Hmm. Yeah, it's top stuff, and I, I even like. I think I like to cover for the the regular release more than the uh, limited edition. The limited edition sort of has um, the Gary Cooper character standing uh, like a, in a shoot off against Frank Miller. It looks like, but the the regular release it sort of shows that opening or the train the train rails, and yeah. um, also reminds me of that opening scene in Once Upon a Time in the West where. I mean, Sergio Leone, yes. he, he milks oh. that so yeah. much. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that. I was like, I, it, it's weird, isn't it, when you you go back to a film for ages and you suddenly go, hang on a minute. <laughs> and it, it's almost disappointing because I, I, I do that sometimes when I watch films where I'm like, I watch someone, a film by someone I love and I've, I've watched something else and I go, hang on a minute, I know where you've got that from, pal. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, yeah, you, Serge, yeah, you can tell Serge, yeah, but I'm going to give him a... I'm going to give him a pass because it's... Uh, it's an homage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, he does something so unique with it, but th there is a, there is a definite similarities there. No, totally. But, I mean, it, yeah, it's 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 a, a truly... Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's, I know yeah, Key... I, I think in America, I think it's coming out on Kino uh, quite soon. Um, but I would always, obviously, uh, endorse buying the, uh, the Masters of Cinema... If you have a region fleet player, it's yes. one to get, I think. Absolutely. But there's something as well. This is a, a, a small public service announcement. Um, because I've, I've had a couple of people email me about um, the availability of Masters of Cinema. Um, uh, probably not for you guys, but, but in, in England, because they're not turning up in HMV and FOP, which are two, are two biggest stores. And I actually contacted Steve Hills from Masters of Cinema. And apparently it's because of um, both those companies had issues with bankruptcy and they lost quite a lot of money in mm. those bankruptcies. So basically what Steve was saying, they don't, they, they, you know, they're not going to be available in HMV and FOP. So I would say to listeners, if you are going to um, buy Masters Cinema, either do it directly from their site. I mean, Steve was saying doing it on Amazon, but I, I can't in my soul, as much as I love Amazon, I, my, my love hate, relationship with Amazon is buy them directly from Masters Cinema, not Amazon. Mm. Mm. But I think uh, Olive was the film or the distribution company. In, oh, in right, was it? Not not Kino, Olive. Yeah, yeah. but, but it, uh, yeah. It... Right, I think uh, we reached the end of our discussion for this film. Uh, absolutely the film, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's... I think High Noon is, I mean, if I was to do like my top 10 Westerns, this would be pretty close to the yeah. top, I think. It's, 
it's a masterpiece. And the other thing as well, it's like Fred Zinnemann, I think we've said before, he's that kind of like almost an underrated director. And I think mm. this is like, I did definitely, I think one of my, he, definitely my favorite film, I think that he's ever done. Mm. Absolutely. Um, what about yourself in your own podcast? Uh, what has been going on there? Um, well, I've just done, actually done an, an episode on a, another Fred Zimmerman film called The Search, which is mm. a um, World War Two film which I made, and I've got another one coming out on Gattaca. So, nice. Yes, and uh, hopefully I'm going to try and convince people why Gattaca is a masterpiece. And, absolutely. Uh, absolutely beautiful film, so yeah. Double bill with Gattaca and um, Counter Mr. Ripley is uh, quite an evening. Yeah, and I do, yeah, it's... I've always been a bit dubious on Jude Law, but I think I've changed my mind. That's mm. that's one of the things I would say. But yeah, I was watching that the the third third day is it um, that um, series that he did, which sort of has that Wicker Man feel, and he's uh, really good in that. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen that. My my thing at the moment, the one thing about lockdown is everyone I know keeps saying, "Watch this, watch that," <laughs> I, I, and it's 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 overwhelming. Mm the amount of television and films that, that that one has got but you know it's a very first world problem isn't it so yeah strange times indeed it truly is all right well i think that's going to be it for us you can reach us on uh, mustersinemacast.gmail.com or you can stop our, our webpage at mocast.blogspot.com or um probably find us on twitter or find you on twitter or email so at 24 framescast.blogspot.com is, is that that's the one yeah yeah so thank you for joining me today tom cheers mate and thank you for listening in and until next time Bish, bosh, right. Right.